listening to This Is Not Reality Podcast, and I'm your host, Amber. Today, my interview is with the Boston Lesbian Gay Urban Foundation. But before we get started, don't forget to go ahead and subscribe to this channel so you can be notified whenever I drop a new episode. For this interview, I spoke to Curtis Santos and Elokeisha Spencer, who are the founders of the Boston Lesbian Gay Urban Foundation. They provide programs and activities supporting mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual health in urban communities. They are also the organizers behind Boston Urban Pride and the Boston Lesbian Gay Urban Events, aka Blue. For more information about their programs and events, follow them on Instagram at Boston underscore urban underscore pride, or visit their website, www.lesbygayurbanfoundation.org. Enjoy the interview. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Amber. Thank you for having us. Yes, so thank yes, thank you, Elakisha. So tell me again, Curtis, what were you telling me about the history of the name and the name change? Or do, would you like to start, Elakisha? Um, Who wants to start? Well, Keisha, Keisha, I think Elakisha can start. I always mess up her name, Elakisha can start. <laughs> She's Keisha to me, Amber. Okay, got you. <laughs> Yes, so we um, came about as Boston Must Be Gay Urban Events, um, a.k.a. Blue. And when we came up with that name, we were really geared towards, you know, bridging the gaps in our community and um, creating safe spaces for our inner city LGBTQ community. And, you know, with doing the work and with networking and, you know, with meeting new people, um, we started to see that there was a bigger need than just, you know, the social aspect of it, you know, such as like, you know, the, the partying, um, I guess, clubbing, it's all the same. Um, so we really started to see that there was a bigger need, you know, such as like, you know, mental health care, um, medical care, um, just educational purposes, just in general, um, you know, there's a lot of homelessness within our community. And then that's when we came up with the the foundation, um, part, which I will let Kurt, Curtis um, speak more to that. But uh, again, like just going back on Boston Women's Gay Urban Events, um, we were really trying to create a, an urban pride. Um, because we often traveled outside of our city um, to get that urban feel um, and that pride feel, whereas we did have, you know, we do have a Boston pride here in Boston, but it's not really geared towards our um, our community, um, our people's needs. So, so yes, yeah, so we started to put together an urban pride, um, which would have been our first urban pride last year, but due to the um, the pandemic, we had to do a virtual one. So this year was our first initial in-person um, Boston urban pride. So as I said, I'm gonna let Curtis touch a little bit more on the foundation aspect of, you know, what exactly that in, entails, but that's how we really, you know, got started because we've seen the need of, um, you know, the social engagement um, and the div the um, division within our our city and our community. Um, so yeah, just to echo on what she was saying, Amber, too, um, you know, um, just to highlight, we do host monthly brunches uh, at Forehead Bar and Grill, um, and throughout that experience, uh, like Keisha said, we begin to 
start hearing conversation happen, uh, authentic conversation happening about what the needs were that they were looking for. You know, they, we started hearing, like she said, homelessness, uh, food needs, and all these other things. So for us, it was more so like, we can't invest in our community without understanding that there's a need, you know? And when there's a need, we need to address the need. So from that point on, uh, we've been to, we, we created the Boston Gate Urban Foundation. And underneath the foundation, we are a, a service provider to the community. Uh, we offer a wide range of services. Like Keisha said, uh, we offer food support. Uh, we connect you with, if you need a job placement, we try to connect with employers or other jobs. Um, also, Keisha is our uh, mental health clinician on deck. Um, you know, she's, that's, her, that's her profession. Um, so we try to offer mental health support and which we're trying to really embark on um, bringing that awareness to our LGBTQIA BIPOC community. And which is something that we do that we do deal with on a daily basis, um, understanding our identities and going through different uh, uh, institutions that really don't understand us and know who we are and how we show up. Um, so that's when we begin to start developing our foundation. That is amazing, and I can't help but hear how it just makes perfect sense. How when you get into this work, yeah, you might be hosting events, but the real natural human experience starts to come out. You're having conversation and you're hearing about the real struggles. And I'm reminded of teachers who are in class trying to teach one subject, but then they're thinking about, oh, this student is hungry. Oh, this student needs this. And then you start to become this teacher, counselor, every parent person. And I can see how you guys are sort of that, like you came with one goal, but your purpose is much greater and your influence is much greater, which I think is the connection that I see with teachers and with what you're doing. When you see that, okay, we're getting a lot of influence. What can we do with it now? We're getting power. What can we do with these resources that are coming to this one centralized location? And I love that you guys are doing whatever you can to get it out to the community. It sounds like a lot of work, I have to be honest. Yes. It is, it is, and you know, not to, not to cut you off or anything, but you know, I always think about, you know, my ancestors, you know, how we, how we uh, socialized, how we, how we talked about our problems, you know, we usually talked about our problems and we became more vulnerable when we, and listening to music, uh, having a few cocktails or having some drinks and eating some food, then we started talking about, girl, man, listen, this is what I'm going through. And it became so authentic. And I think that from us, when we started doing the brunches, that was the experience. I'm like, wow, this is really our culture. <laughs> let's talk about, let's go back to the basics. You know, I mean, the basic steps of when you see your parents engage and how they became more vulnerable and started talking about what issues they're having or what needs they need to get met. That was the experience. Yeah. I'm thinking about Pose. I'm thinking about how it seems at surface level, like a show about dances, but at its core, these parties, these places where you're going, maybe you are going to find a little boo thing, maybe, but you're also going for the social experience, for that comfort, for that feeling of protection that you might not feel Monday through Thursday or whatever days um, when you're working or not working or just figuring out life. So, wow, that you bring that up. And also, I'm just going to stop after this, uh, but also there's a huge gap with bringing access to BIPOC experiences here in Boston. There's a huge gap. We don't have clubs that, that, that represent us. You know, uh, when we talk about establishments and club establishments, they're predominantly ran by white men or white women. There's nothing that says Black on it. You know, so we have to really start talking about what does real social engagement look like? You know what I mean? And if, and if we're talking about equity and we're talking about having everyone sit at the table, well, why aren't we sitting at tables? Why don't we have establishments that's dedicated to us, for us, by us? You know, and this is why we started this work because yeah. it's, a, it's a gap and it's missing. 
I love it. Absolutely. And I was just going to, you know, just to echo that, like, you know, I obviously like I knew that that gap was there, but I, it really, you know, I became like more in tune with it when I, when we was planning Urban Pride and all these doors was being closed to us because we were, you know, of color and, you know, of the LGBT community. We didn't really have a lot of doors that was open to us last year when we was first initially, you know, trying to bring out our urban pride. So we had to, like, you know, become creative and, you know, really figure out how are we going to get these events, you know, to be the best events that we want going to be with limited space spaces. Right. So let's keep digging into the, the recent history, very recent history, but not even history. It's your beginnings because I was reading your mission and it looks like you guys started during the pandemic, essentially, which I think there are so many ironies in that. Yes, we did. And I have a question about the way that the Boston Pride dissolved their organization and where you guys come in in that narrative. I noticed that you guys were boycotting them and their events uh, by hosting your own at the same time, which I think is really badass. Uh, but <laughs> where do you guys come into this narrative, Ilakisha? Like, where did it start? Or where did you, yeah, give me the background. <laughs> um, so I, if you don't mind, I'm going to let Kurt begin to ha- start that conversation, then I can jump because Kurt, I have to say, I give it to him. He's been, he sits on a lot of boards, a lot of boards yeah. that I, a lot of time, like I don't have, he's making that time to make himself available so that he knows, that, I mean, so that people know who we are. Right. Um, so there is, um, a couple of different groups, you know, pride for the people. Um, there's now, I don't, What's the new name for? Well, Habit came up with a new name. Um, and so what's happening is that Pride for the People um, was made up of board uh, volunteers that used to volunteer for Boston Pride. Um, and, there's, and they've seen the inequities of Boston's Prides, uh, the way they ran the operation. Um, and they knew all the funding sources. They knew how much money they had. They knew everything they had in stock and everything, right? So it was, it was not to be sugarcoated that they had information that was valuable to our community. And I think that what, what happened is that um, there was an article that went out when Black Lives Matter uh, movement started um, and, and the George Floyd and you know, I mean all the folks within the BIPOC community that was getting killed by the police officers. And um, a part of Boston Pride, they had a uh, Black Pride within them. And so they weren't funding the Black Pride as much as they were funding Boston Pride. And what happened is that Black Pride wrote a statement to Boston Pride to put in their newsletter to talk about how they stand in solidarity with George Floyd and the rest of the folks that have been murdered through the, 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 the violence from the police officers. And they removed their article in their newsletter. Boston Pride removed their article within, within the uh, statement saying, we support Black, uh, Black Lives Matter movement. They removed it. So what happened in that right there started controversy. So then that's when we begin starting the boycott with Boston Pride. Mm-hmm. Um, Linda DeMarco, who is the president of Boston Pride, um, who also holds other power. Uh, she, she's the World Pride's president. She's Boston Pride's president. Um, she is the CEO and president of Enterprise and those other rental car establishments. So that's power, you know? And so what became... What was supposed to become an experience for LGBTQIA members all around the spectrum became more of a corporate 
heights, heights, I would say, because they were taking money, right? They were taking money and the money wasn't going into where it needed to be poured into, where they was getting money for inner city activities and support inner city uh, agencies and they weren't supporting those inner city agencies. And the saddest thing is that we see it all the time in the city. We see it all the time in the city. Like, yeah, we're going to umbrella fundraise for these people. Really, we're a white ass organization and we're taking most of the funds. And a lot of these artists, teaching artists of color or people of color that work for us are going to get furloughed or fucked over and we're going to keep everything they gave to us. Does it seem personal? Anyway, um, I feel that and I know exactly what you're talking about it's funny because um i've been podcasting for a couple of years like i told you guys and in one of my past podcasts i featured boston pride because i noticed that they had a black pride so i was like i was like okay i'm gonna cover this and the bad thing about podcasting sometimes is that i didn't have time to really rehearse that day so i was like oh, i'm just gonna pull up the website and see what they're about and I was on the website on, in person, like, oh, I don't really, I'm not seeing much. I'm not seeing a lot. I'm not seeing the last thing that they posted was like a year ago. I could see the lack of attention and resources blatantly on the website. And so the fact that you're giving me the background, I'm like, okay. So it escalated, I'm assuming, the boycotts. Yes. And they essentially dissolved, which bothered me deeply because- Well, they haven't dissolved yet. They oh, haven't dissolved. They announced yet. it. They're, okay. they're in the, yeah, they announced it. They're in the process of dissolving. But what's happening is that we have created a committee called Pride for the People, um, have created a board in which now that when the announcement came that they were going to be dissolving, uh, a lot of um, influencers, um, uh, senior influencers, you know, that sit on higher levels with the LGBTQ community stepped up and said, okay, let's be a part of a bigger, broader conversation. And now we're asking that Boston Pride do not dissolve and they give all assets and equities to us as community members because we want them to know that Boston Pride is not a standalone agency. It's a community-driven ran agency. So if the community want power, give us the power. Let us continue, let us continue the experience. Yeah, it seemed like a weird answer or solution to the issue to just dissolve is as if to say that we refuse or we cannot or will not. Or there's funds, or there's funds being hidden somewhere that they don't want to show up or show it's up. The, it's the easy way out. It's a weird and easy way out, which uh, that's why I'm glad that you guys are applying pressure or that Pride for the People is applying pressure. I think that's the uh, announcement or uh, post that I saw online where it was in this, there's like a colored backgrounds and there's mostly text and it says pride for the people along with numerous other groups, including, including trans resistance, Massachusetts, transgender political coalition, Boston urban pride, the center for black equity, Boston black pride and Boston Dyke March has spent the past year pushing for a long overdue transformation of Boston pride. And that's the beginning, but for anyone who's not familiar, I can post that um, when I, when I promote the episode. And so does it, how is it looking right now with that, that push? So the movement is still going. Um, I think that we haven't came into a resolution as of yet. Yeah. Uh, we have created um, several different committees because what we understand is that this is a lot of work. Um, it doesn't take two to three people. It takes an army to make this happen. Uh, because we're talking about different sectors, you're talking about permits, you're talking about venues, you're talking about vendors, you know, so, and we understand that no one agency can take on this pressure. So what we have created was several different committees to actually start facilitating a plan to bring back to Boston Pride to say, this is our plan, this is what we think will be best if you guys give it all us, if you guys give us the uh, assets and everything to move forward. 
Wow. I'm like, this is a massive movement, but I feel like with all hands on deck, it can, it can get done. So I'm wishing for the best. And thinking about your organization and what you do, um, of course, we can touch on what the foundation does, but I want to bring it back to the events because I think that's such a beautiful way that you guys uh, blossomed from brunches at the Fort Hill brunches that you told me about um, and to the events for the Boston, Boston's next mayor. Tell me about more of your events that I might not have seen on Instagram or that you've run. Yeah, so we, we do a, a lot of different, you know, well, I would, yeah, we do a lot of different events. As you mentioned, the, um, the brunches, that's every first Sunday of the month. We do our big um, annual event, Boston Urban Pride, which is between five and six. Well, it's still small. So right now it's five to six events, you know, for the entire weekend. Um, but then we also, you know, partner up with other, um, you know, other people, other promoters, other DJs. You know, we do um we do toy drives for, you know, during the Christmas. We do turkey drives for Thanksgiving. We do, um, you know, Halloween parties. We do um, family appreciation um, give bags, um, back to school um, giveaways. Um, also, uh, the forums. We do some forums. We do community forums as well. Um, we host community forums. Um, and then, like you said, also, we, do, we did the mayoral um, race candidate um, I'm forum. sorry. Do you hear this dembo playing outside of my window? Yeah, we do kind of sort of. I'm so sorry. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. I look through that. We we on the same page. Usually, <laughs> I love it, but right now it was very distracting. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Where did we leave off? <laughs> no, so like we were talking about the forums and stuff. You know, we do host community forums um, because we believe that. We can't say that we want to see change if we don't have the uh, the the data to back it up. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? You can't say that you want to see something if you, if you ain't talking about what your top priorities are. So we do forums. Uh, we do a lot of um, like community surveying um, folks just to figure out what the needs really are. And we keep that consistent because we want to make sure that people change needs change, right? So we have to stay abreast of what's happening around us. We right. do I'm sorry, can we we have done some panels as well last year. We did panels with, you know, the older generation, the young generation, really just trying to, as Curtis was saying, you know, really trying to figure out uh, what is the need of our um, community. I love panels. I love sitting on them. I love moderating them. I love what? <laughs> I love panels. I need to go to one of y'all's panels. Soon yes. come. Soon come. And so for me, it's really important that I found that information that said you guys started during the pandemic and you encountered very the real challenges of being uh, Boston Urban Pride and trying to get resources and having doors closed on you. But I love that I'm like, okay, I saw you guys be resilient and continue to host events and put your name out there. And I know you guys had your first Urban Pride this year and I look forward to the future and how it grows. So I'm excited for that. And thinking about you guys at, in this way, um, you know, despite how you've had to wrestle with your creation and, and how you've blossomed. But tell me about what it was like for you guys growing up in Cambridge or in Boston as queer folk. Whoever wants to start can start. <laughs> I think for me, um, you know, I, like I said, I grew up in JP, um, to be quite frank, Bromley Heath projects. Um, and through all my experience uh, living in JP, um, you really couldn't show up who you was, you know? So I hid my identity for a long time. 
Um, so when I actually became comfortable and actually came out, um, I actually came out to my mom first, you know, and I kept doing my mom, mom, this is what it is. I came out like around 17 years old, actually, 17, 18. And um, came out came out to her and she accepted me for who I was. And, you know, I think, but for me, I think uh, what was set the playing, what set the playing field for me was that my sister um, came out first, you know? Um, so for me, it was a little easier to show up to who I was, um, but it, it took me a long time to show up as my true self because I heard all the backlash that was being said about my sister. Um, so I gotta be honest with that, you know? And, you know, and, is my is my journey throughout me being who I am, being a queer black male, to actually show up for other folks to show them that all experiences are different, you know, and that we are still who we are. We don't change because we say we're queer today, <laughs> you know. Um, but coming out was not easy, um, and being judged, you know, people. Oh, look at that gay boy. Look, Kurt's gay. Kurt, you know, Kurt, you know, Kurt's gay. Walking around the projects, you know, you know, Kurt's gay. When we get around the projects, quick. So, so um, that experience was not easy, but I learned to adjust, adapt, um, and just stay true to who I was. Yeah. And did you feel like in a different section of Boston, it was easier, maybe? Like you'd have to, I don't know. Because yeah, I know you no. started with neighborhood. So I'm like, is that the struggle? Yeah, that was my foundation. You know, I mean, JP was my foundation. Um, you know, I was, I was a project kid, <laughs> you know, you know, I mean, my friends, you know, my friends never disowned me when I came out. They actually, they actually embraced me a little bit more. Um, who, the friends that I thought was going to be like, oh, he's gay. I don't want to be with that Negro. You know, they mm -hmm. actually embraced me a little bit more, and which was cool and easier for me um, because there were folks talking about me like, oh, he's gay. Look at him. He's gay. But what I would say this, and I'm going to put this out there. We have a huge a huge uh, bisexual community here in Boston. We have a huge, and that's why I always say to people when we talk about these discussions that they be like, oh, well, we want to do it for the LGBTQIA folks. I'm like, and they're like, you have any? I'm like, well, we're fluid. <laughs> like, we just don't show up, we're fluid, right? So we just can't pinpoint who's LGBTQIA anymore. It's a fluid community, you know, and, and I'll stop. No, that is very important. I want to jump in and then I'm going to go to Elakisha's story. I want to know how yours differs, obviously, in identities. I'm sure your story is a little different in ways, but I'm going to insert my story here because there's a reason why I asked like, oh, did you feel comfortable in other neighborhoods? Because I went to the Boston Arts Academy, which has probably the highest number of queer students out of any Boston public school in the city. And so it was a very different experience there. In my own family, I have several gay and queer family members. And I as well, am, I'm one of those invisible bisexual women that exists in this, in this space. Um, and I don't often disclose that, but it is interesting because I don't often get pressed in the same way that folks who show up in other ways do. Um, but when I was in high school, I would go to, I think it was called GLAD, um, which was like a safe space on off of Newberry Street where people would just hang out. And it was a safe space for queer youth. And I felt comfortable going there, even though, you know, at sometimes I was dating a boy and I would go there. So I just, I remember spaces existing like that in downtown, but then everybody would have to get on the train back to Dorchester, back to Roxbury, go back home. So Lakeisha, what was your story like growing up? What was in the city? So mine's is a lot different because I always tell people like I don't have like a coming out story and I I just recently have 
became, I guess, who I am now within like the last six years, five to six years. So, you know, I didn't experience what everybody else experienced because I was the girl with boyfriends and, you know, I didn't, I wasn't part of the LGBTQIA community then, but I've always grew up, like I've always had like a lot of um, friends, queer friends, um, you know, full disclosure, my mom is, is a lesbian. So I think it was a little bit more easier once I did start to express who I was because, you know, the one person that is closest to me, she is, you know, she's also part of the community. But again, like I, I, I never really came, I never came out to anybody. It was just something like you see it, you know, you see me with a female, um, you know, that I've You've never seen me with a female before. So kind of you, you take it for what it is and you can ask questions now. You can ask questions later. Um, but um, I, I never really like came out. It was just something that. Um, wow. I guess, um, but like my friends, like they were so supportive because it was like, this is the happiest I've ever seen you before. So I'm like, you know, obviously maybe there was something in me that I just didn't pull out, you know, pull out of me. Um so yeah, um. interesting though because with your story, it actually there's it's there's so many stories, so many experiences. Obviously, it's a diverse community, but I'm like, for someone that is new or are new to the community to find that community or find events, even though of course you have a family member in it, I could see why that would be a motivation to like create your own. <laughs> like, why not? Maybe I'm just interpreting, but was that a push for you? Like being a little quote unquote late to the game? I don't know. Um, it was it was a little bit of a push. And I think, again, like, you know, what really just motivated me to want to do, you know, more of this this work is because one Curtis, he came to me and I was just so on board, like, yes, let's do it. But, you know, again, like I said, like I have like a lot of friends that are in the community and they've told me like their struggles and I witnessed, you know, their struggles. And then me being a mental health therapist, you know, I see, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, these struggles. So um, it was I guess you could say, yes, it was definitely motivation. Yeah. Sorry if I was doing that thing again where I reduce you to the events because I'm like, no, wait, no, y'all do way much more. So what are your roles? Do you divvy up the responsibilities right now or is it still organic in the way that you go about the work? So we both are the founders and, and you know, I guess in general, but we have been really, tr- we, we have, now that we have the foundation and the events, we, um, we both oversee, you know, one or the other. I oversee the events part. Curtis oversees the foundation, but we both make the executive, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Decisions. Take. So just because we both see them like separately, we, we don't make no decisions um, without coming to one another um, before doing it. Right, Curtis? <laughs> no, and I agree. Um, I think that, you know, as you begin to um, see the need, uh, the need's increasing. And I think that, you know, as the need's increasing, uh, we had to really figure out our roles and how do we um, service our community in a way. And so what we, we did, what we did was we developed uh, roles for ourselves. And so I do see, I oversee the, um, the Let's Be Gay Urban Foundation piece in which I talk about the wraparound services and all the services that we do have um, falls into that category. And then Keisha oversees our social engagement, like she said. Uh, we don't call it events that much. We call it social engagement because everything falls under that, you know, and social engagement is really a huge priority when we talk about social determinants of health. 
when we talk about folks living a, a wealthy lifestyle, we talk about what does health and wealth look like in urban communities, uh, social engagement is at the number one spot. Um, because without that, um, you go, you fall into mental health, you fall into all these different other traps. Um, but then also, uh, Keisha is overseeing our uh, mental health um, component, in which that's that's her lane, you know, and we hope to open up a practice for her within Boston Let's Gate Urban Foundation in which we can service uh, our community in a bigger way because what we realized a lot of folks are coming to us saying, hey, you know, I would love to have Keisha as my mental health clinician. We're like, yo, this is dope. Uh, but uh, we also try to, how do we how do we deliver that service in, in a way that is equitable um, and that they're given, that Keisha be able to give her full self to them, you know, so. Yeah, and then, so I know that where there's a long battle going on with resources, but I am curious with what is your lane, Lakeisha, with mental health and what does that vision look like in the work that you would do? So right now, so I don't have like uh, a, like one particular lane that I was like I specialize in. Mm-hmm. I am definitely trying to become like more trauma informed, but I do. So I do work for two different organizations right now um, outside of Blue. Um, so I service, um, you know, anywhere from the adolescent population to children to adults. Um, and, you know, those um, diagnoses is like a it's, it's across the board. So there's not one lane, but now I'm really trying to get towards more towards like my community, which is the LGBTQIA community. And um, as Curtis said, like I do hope to open up, you know, a practice underneath Blue so that we can really service um, our community. Yeah, I guess you're right. I'm, I'm like, I don't even know how to come at it from where I am, which is outside of the mental health realm. But yeah, I'm like, I know there are like tons of sicknesses and diagnoses, but it's nice to know that there's someone who at least has a, a grip on the entire field that can like start to, to pinpoint. So thank you for that. And I, know, I, I was on your website pulling apart your mission and just wondering what has surprised you about your goal and your missions to, for example, expand uh, the foundation and the possibilities uh, for the local communities. Has anything surprised you as far as which communities you've worked with? Have you been able to work with every community in Boston? Everything, you know, the, you know the saying, um, everyone who's skin folk and kim folk. <laughs> Interesting. Say more about that. Um, <laughs> um, we've, like he just said in the beginning, we've been uh, shut out a lot of doors um, throughout this process. And, you know, I, I remember when me and Keisha first started, we used to get real mad and angry at folks. We used to be like, what? They don't want to what? And, but we, we I think personally, we have uh, become more um, understanding and removing our emotional state and really coming out on a professional level and letting them know that these are the demands that we demand to see happen more than asking folks. Because what we realize is that folks have uh, leverage and power um, and they can actually share the power, but sometimes they shut the door out from so from us by LGBTQ members. Yeah. Um, so for us, I think that um, the experience has been an experience and we're learning each and every day. Um, as far as partners, we have had some great partners, American Heart Association, this is show one, uh, Center, for Black, Center for Black Equity, um, uh, GLAD, um, fin- Finway Health Institute. Um, who? Common Square. Common Square. 
uh, uh, elders of color have supported us. Uh, even Forehead Bar and Grow has supported us throughout our triumphs. Um, because there was many people we went to and said, you know, how can you support her? Can you be down? They did not return our calls. There were state officials that we went to and said, hey, you know, uh, Boston, Black Boston Pride ain't showing up for us Black people. You know what I mean? How can we show, how can we show up ourselves and not be our true selves within the urban communities? And they shut, our, they shut their doors on us, you know? All political. I and I bet once they find out that it might be good for them, they might come back around. And that's just oh. how this city oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, and oh that, that happened. That, that shift that you talked about from when people when you ask to when you demand. That's a very important right. shift. And there was another shift that you talked about, uh, but it's escaping me right now. But just that alone, I wanted to just draw on. Like when you switch from like now, we're not even asking anymore. We're demanding this. Is it's definitely an important that gives, shift. Amber, that gives me goosebumps just because the saying it right that gave me goosebumps just now because I'm I'm a true believer that you know. What we, how you do business is how you do business. And I always say, like, for instance, I'm going to throw this out there and I shouldn't do this. This is going to be fucked up. Excuse my language, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, so we talk about Boston Black COVID Coalition. Boston Black COVID Coalition is supposed to be the equity, the, the, the state holder of making sure there's equitable uh, funding being sourced out to all Black people of color, mm -hmm. right? And for me to have to fight to make sure that my LGBTQ BIPOC communities is getting vaccinated and for them to shut the door on us, for me, it doesn't sit well with me, especially if you have that power and people looking at you as that 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 leader in this space. Um, so that experience alone shifted our views uh, with how we do business with folks. That's why I said all kin folk and all skin folk and kin folk, you yeah. know? Yeah, I was um, speaking to a woman um, who was an uh, indigenous one from Rhode Island. And she was talking about how she had to demand resources for her own indigenous community out there. Cause it's like, there are systems in place to deal with this already and it's not being done. And it's ridiculous. The other thing that I escaped my mind that I just remembered um, is just that yes, when you get tired of asking, you do start demanding, but there's a really real stress in being constantly told no and still showing up to do the work professionally. I wanted to, to draw attention to that as well, because yes, you are, you're persevering and you're showing up professionally, but that shit is still tiring. It is still exhausting. It still makes us angry and it still hurts. So I just hope that you guys are still doing what it takes to give yourself that self-care, because even if you put on your professional hat, it still fucking hurts. I know it does. I know it does. How about, uh, do you have any last thoughts on the community partnerships or anything else that surprised you about connecting with local community before I switch to my pop culture question, Elakisha? No, I don't, I don't think, I don't have any more to add. Um, you know, as we already talked about, you know, doors have been shut, but we have had some great, you know, community partners and, you know, locally and even outside, like we are now starting to notice, like, what else really having to do too much of the work, people are starting to reach out to us. We're starting to become visible to others. So um, it's definitely been an experience and I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm looking forward to us just continuing to grow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Keep grinding. Now for my pop culture reference and question, I cannot speak to Boston Urban Pride and not touch on this topic because the connections are clear between the controversy happening with Lil Nas X and Lil Boozy. Is he still Lil or is he just Boozy now? He's probably Boozy. <laughs> boozy bad. 
Sorry. I'm like, what is his name? Okay, Boozy. Whatever. All these mofos in the community that are making it a conversation on whether or not you should accept your children, whether or not this uh, queer people should be in the media or be portrayed in the media. What are your reactions to this conversation and what's happening right before our eyes right now? So for, for me, so I don't, I try not to, like, just to be completely honest, I try not to get too involved on like what's going on when it comes to like, I don't keep up with celebrities. <laughs> I don't, but obviously I've, I've seen the, I've seen the conversations. I've seen it on Instagram. And, you know, for me personally, I just think everybody should be able to be who they want to be. And it's not changing, you know, it, it doesn't change like the, how talented, how talented you are. You're still that person. You know, you're, you just, it's just your sexual preference. Like Nas um, X has a budget, just like the girls do it, on stage. It, you got a costume, it, just like the girls do on stage. What's the problem? Exactly. I, I don't even think it should be, it. but of course there, you know, that, that just shows that yes, it's becoming more okay for us to be who we are, but you know, we're still being suppressed. There's still, you know, these conversations that are being, you know, not talked about. We, we really, you know, we can express us to ourselves to a limit, you know, when it comes to certain, um, I don't even know the word, certain avenues, certain, yeah, certain avenues in our lives. I agree with Keisha. I think that, um, for me, looking at the whole little Nas X, um, for, it was very interesting um, because, and looking at little Boozy, right? And I'll talk about Boozy first because we talked about the lack there is of education, like Keisha said, within our Black communities to understand how we show up, right? Uh, this is because I say I'm gay doesn't mean that you're going to see me being flamboyant. doesn't mean I'm going to show up in different ways. But understanding how a person shows up is really important. So that's why we try, that's why we're actually building a curriculum uh, to do workshops and trainings on uh, BIPOC identities and how they show up and how that's how you need to be more trauma informed around how how we show up and I think that's what we come down with a little boozy that the lack of education right and understanding um, because I think that there people have their opinion and we need to be able to let folks express their opinions and I think that we begin to get so sensitive with the with the queer community nowadays it's like you say one word wrong it's like they said that mm -hmm. oh my god they said that and it shouldn't have to be like that always coming from a learning experience like how can we why can't we learn from him? He learned from us, you know? Yeah. But what I've learned is that folks have reached out to Little Boozy or Little whatever his name is <laughs> to try to educate him now on a lot of queer uh, or agencies of, I mean, have reached out to him and say, we want, we want to teach you about our experiences. We want to show you what pronouns mean and what does it mean to be a he, she, her, what they, whatever, how they show up, you know? Yeah. And I think that's good because now he's going to be now next, you know, within the next few months, he's going to be like an advertisement as now he's the ambassador for one of these oh. big LGBTQIA well, then, uh, agencies, you know? Thing to get is, I could see the baby going in that direction because he's already started doing like his redemption courses and stuff, kind of like the Nick Cannon Jewish controversy. He's doing like yeah. an LGBTQ version, which I think is important. It definitely is what it is. Kind of, you know, publicists Fuck putting that. out what they need to do. Boozy, though. It's it's humbling to see something 
as it's happening. Um, I think a lot of like history is being made and we're not gonna be able to really talk about it until we're a couple years removed, like with Trump in every single day of our lives. But with Boozy, it's a little unsettling, I have to say. They had, um, what's her name? I wanna say Flo, but I'm like, she's a comedian. She's always on The Breakfast Club. And uh, she's, I forgot how she identifies, but she identifies as a father, first of all. She's a trans woman, I believe, or at least drag queen. But essentially, she sat on the show and was trying to educate Boozy. And there was just, it was like he sat there for the conversation. Good. But his resistance and the, the way that he was kind of making it very clear that he didn't want to or it wasn't safe for him to show that he was learning anything was a little unsettling. Because it's like he feels as though it's a debate and he represents one side and we're going to find a middle ground. And maybe that does need to happen in some way, but I hope he's as open to the fact that he is learning whether or not he wants to admit it or not. And we're watching right. him learn in like literally in, in real time. In real time. And mm-hmm. we're all learning. So. Mm-hmm. Definitely little Nas X, and little Nas X, I think that he's amazing. I think that he's showing up in different ways. I don't know if you guys seen the new photo shootout with him uh, looking like he's pregnant. Like, he, so he's showing up in different ways. And they're like, I see a lot of comments that they're like, uh, men can't men can't get pregnant. I'm like, well, we have a lot of trans men that get pregnant. <laughs> like, men can't get pregnant because they show up differently, you know, now, you know? So um, I think that he's on, uh, and then I think of Madonna, um, how she was kissing, I forgot who she was kissing on, like, one of the award shows. And Brittany, now Little she Nas- kissed Britney and she kissed yeah. Drake and she probably kissed more people. <laughs> right. And then and to talk about that, like when Little Nas X kissed the dude on the award show, everybody was like, what? He kissed that? I'm like, well, shit, she did it. Why can't he do it? He's showing up just like she showed up, you know, his true self. So I think that once we once we begin to break the, the barriers and those un- unknown conversations down within our inner city community, I think that's when we begin to shift uh, uh, people's realities, you know what I mean? Because like I said, we, we have a huge a huge fluid community here in Boston. You know, our mama's mamas might be might be gay. You know, like our daddies might be gay. Your baby daddy might be gay. I'm just saying, we have a huge fluid community here. And I love thinking about it that way going forward as I think is a, a good way to improve advocacy and, and make sure that people know that this is far reaching, way more far reaching than you could even imagine. And before we wrap up today, I want to know what's next for you guys. Do you have any events on the horizon? I know, obviously, you just had your first year of Urban Pride, so it'll be probably a year before we get to the next one. But what should we look out for before then? Yes, so this coming Sunday, we have our monthly brunch happening at Fort Hill Bar and Grill from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. We also have an event on September 24th um, at Legacy. We are actually teaming up and collaborating with another group called Men of Melanin um, that a unity event um, that's basically just both of us you know coming together and collaborating and putting on for our city Um, we also in October we will be collaborating with um, a DJ sound and they also um, have a a truck in Durham Pride um, called Island Pride Natural Vibes Uh, we're doing a Halloween event and I want to say we also have a bigger project that we are now that we are working on with um a couple of our djs and influencers in our city um the name of you live um frenchie and mateo we are going to be heading down to vegas urban pride um to collaborate on some events we also have our annual turkey drive um christmas toy drive 
and oh yeah the holidays the holidays are around the corner so all of those (laughs) um, the next couple of months in 2021 i'm sorry what you say oh yes no i was saying those are our next couple of events that we have gearing up um you know to take us through the rest of 2021 i know right new year's around the corner is there anything else on your mind curtis that we should be looking forward to no, I think Keisha said it all. I think that, you know, um, go to our page, uh, check on it. You know what I mean? Look at it. Uh, if you guys need any services, if folks need any services, just know we are the service provider. Um, what we do is try to partner with, with other agencies to make sure that we have a streamlined service way of giving, make sure the services are being met. Um, but go there. We're, we're going to have a few surveys up there on our website as well. Like I said, we always try to assess our community to figure out what the bigger needs are to make sure that we're staying up to par. So we're not losing sight of our mission and our goal. Um, and I can honestly say we're for the people. You know what I mean? I think there's a huge gap with providing uh, services within the LGBTQIA inner city communities. And we're here to show up, to show out whatever way we can do it. Um, and folks, if they need transportation, we have a, a, a partnership going on right now with Lyft, uh, which they're giving out free, they're giving our, our community members free rides, services to clinic appointments, to get vaccinated, uh, to the grocery store, if you lost transportation, if your car broke down, holler at us, we can get you to work. Um, if the kids are late for school, you need to get them to school, holler at us, we can get them to school. Um, and that's just a service that we partnered up with Lyft for Urban Pride Weekend. And they thought that it was a great service to provide it for the Urban Pride Weekend because what will happen is that we bring it back a little bit. We was like, yo, what if people get too drunk? How are we going to get these people home? And, you know, our first thing is safety. You know, always that we do in events, we think about safety first. And so we partnered with Lyft kindly after like almost like two weeks into Urban Pride. Mm-hmm. Um, Lyft was like, we'll give y'all three grand, give, some good, give y'all some codes, and y'all gonna get these people home if they need to get home safely. And that helped us so much. So shout out to Lyft. Um, shout out to Brandon and his team uh, for looking out, holding us down. Um, it's been a tremendous help. Um, and I think that, you know, we're just expanding on it. Um, when it comes to our September, getting folks to wherever they need to go. That is Rides so on us. cool. I love it. I love all of the events. At least people know that they will be in good hands with you guys. I'll make sure to promote all the pages where people can follow you, your website and everything. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank, Thank you, you, Amber. Once again, thank you so much to Curtis and Elakisha and to the Boston Let's Be Gay Urban Foundation community in general just for stopping by and being present and representing. I'm surely going to spread the message and all of this information with my network. Go ahead and check out their website once again. That is lesbigayurbanfoundation.org and follow them on Instagram at boston underscore urban underscore pride. I will see you guys, not really, back for the next episode. Until then, bye.